growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We know that there are times on the battlefield or in life where one person sacrifices their life, lays down their life. We've heard stories of a soldier jumping on a grenade or a person taking a bullet for someone. We know that that happens and and we always admire what great courage and honor and sacrifice that a person would make. But this is God Almighty who willingly poured out on himself his wrath so that we would not have to endure the wrath that we rightly deserve. Salvation. It basically means to be saved or delivered from something. A person pulled from a burning building might say, That fireman was my salvation. Spiritually speaking, Christians understand salvation to mean deliverance from hell and a promise of heaven when this life is over. We believe that salvation was made possible by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But here's something to think about. What does salvation mean for my life here and now? Is my life different because I've been saved? If you keep His commandments. If you walk as he walked, as if you live life as he lived life. This is how you can know it. Salvation is expressive in life. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our series through the New Testament letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, where we're discovering that calling myself a Christian is not something to be taken lightly. Today we're in 1st John chapter 2, looking at John's explanation of just exactly what salvation is. Last week, Pastor Clay showed us from John's letter that salvation is expensive, that it's exclusive, and that it's extensive. Today, we're going to look at one more aspect of salvation that is very important for us to understand. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. One time when I was on the great continent of Africa. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I was on the great continent of Africa a number of years ago, uh, but I was in Kenya. I was not in South Africa. I was in Kenya. And uh, taking part in a in an evangelism crusade out there, and uh, we went door to door or hut to, literally hut to hut, uh, hut these cow manure and mud walled thatched roof, dirt floored. You know, we just have no idea how uh, how blessed uh, we are. But we went down these trails from every day. We went out and we just shared the gospel, and then we invited folks back to this afternoon meeting that we would have. We'd gather folks together and kind of have have church. For some of them, for the very uh, first time. But one day, we were, I was out with my interpreter, and we were walking. It was about lunchtime, and we were supposed to go back to this kind of central location uh, where they would have lunch for us and that sort of thing. And so we were heading back to, uh, for, from lunch, or for lunch, and my interpreter and, uh, and I were walking along. Um, and I told you, I've told you some of y'all this before, we were walking along holding hands because that's a, that's a common thing. In, in, at least in Kenya, it is it's a sign of friendship for men to walk along holding hands. It's really weird to me, but uh, you just kind of go with it, you know, as you're holding your buddy's hand as you're walking along. And um, so we're going along, and uh, off, off in the distance down this, we're walking on this trail, and then there's these little side trails that go over, and off in this, this side trail, and we hear this gentleman uh, call out to us. Um, in his native tongue, he's, and, he's, and he's waving, saying, come over here. And he was a very elderly uh, gentleman. Uh, I found out after I got to talk to him how old he actually was, and he, he was quite uh, old. But he's calling for us to come over, and uh, my interpreter is saying, you know, I, I, I do not know if we have time, because we're supposed to be back for lunch. 
<laughs> and so I said, I'm pretty sure we got time. Uh, if somebody wants us to come over and talk to him, we're pretty sure we got time. So we went over there to him and uh, just began to engage him, talk to him. And uh, in, in a way, it was, it, it was a very sad story. He lived by himself and he took us around back behind his hut and he showed us where his wife was buried and he showed us where his son was buried. He'd only had one, one child. His son was buried and he says, I am still here. And, and we noticed that in his hut, uh, or outside his hut, sitting on a little log they sat on, was a Bible. And it was, you could tell it was old. It had been there a long time. And I, honestly, I don't remember if it was in English or if it was, or if it was in Swahili. It didn't matter because he couldn't read anyway. And so he had this, this Bible. And uh, so I asked him, do, do you know what this Bible is about and, and who it's about and, and what it can do for you? And, and he explained. He said, I, I cannot read. And he says, I have no one to show me the way of salvation. He seemed to instinctively somehow, whether, whether when the person gave it to him years before or whatever, he seemed to know that it had something to do with, he said, I have no one to show me the way of salvation. Um, and we were able to share Christ with that gentleman that day. And there outside of his hut, he bowed his head and accepted Christ as his Savior. Said he wanted to accept and wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to receive this thing. Receive this thing called salvation. Right? Say it. Salvation. This thing called salvation. It's a church word, right? We throw that around. Uh, salvation. Saved. Oh, I'm saved. I, yeah. Are, are you saved? Or let's get saved. Or salvation. Last week uh, in our series, the MI series, which is based on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're walking through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John if you're, you're new here. We're... We're looking at what John gets to. The crux of the, these letters is, uh, am I saved? Am I a follower of Jesus? What does that look like in my life? It's basically where John is going. It's basically what he's dealing with, uh, in, particularly in 1 John, uh, but also in Second and 3 John. And last week, we started into 1 John chapter 2, uh, looking at, what I just saw as some observations about this thing we call salvation. This thing that rolls off our tongues if we're church people, if we, especially if we've grown up in it. It's very easy to talk about salvation. Uh, but uh, last week we started making some observations about this thing called salvation. I want to read to you the text again. First uh, John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 11, and then we're going, to, we're going to look at some of those observations again this morning. Y'all all right? You ready? Maybe you have a hard copy, uh, like I do. Maybe you have a digital copy. I know it's up on the screen as well, um, but I encourage you to open the Word of God to 1 John uh, chapter 2. I'm so grateful uh, for you. I want to see all of these chairs filled up to the glory of God, uh, but I never want to take for granted the people that are here now and that are coming and that, are, that want to be a part of what God would desire to do in our midst. Would you pray with me this morning? God, uh, we're about to read your word again, as we do a lot at Cross Culture. Our, our children, they learn the word of God. Uh, in our life groups, people learn the word of God. Uh, in here, we, we uh, teach the word of God because I believe it is the word of God, which is quick and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. God, it's been my belief a long time that there is literal, absolute power in this book. Uh, it's changed my life, and I pray that you would use me, your messenger boy today, to change other people's lives through the power of your word. For the people that are in this room, for the people who perhaps will watch or listen to this message 
uh, this week or in the coming weeks, Lord God. Maybe someone will just uh, find a YouTube video three years from now. And they'll watch this message and it'll be in your perfect timing. And they'll hear the truth of your salvation and they'll come to know you. God, we may never know. Here at Cross Culture, we may never know all the results. And we want to, I honestly confess, I desperately want to see uh, your power at work and see people's lives change. But God, if we're faithful to do what you've called us to do, for as long as you call us to do it, Lord, if we just do that, then we can trust you with those results uh, God, so just to take this this time where we get this privilege, this amazing privilege of getting to freely open your word and look at it and study it and contemplate it and meditate upon it. And then hopefully, Lord God, apply it when we leave this place today to apply it to our lives. God, thank you for that privilege today. In Jesus' name, amen. First John uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, my little children... Remember when we talked about that last week, these terms of endearment that John uses, he cares about the body of Christ. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says... He is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, there were some observations about salvation. And the first observation that we looked at last week uh, was this. We said this. We said salvation is expensive. This is a very expensive thing. This word that we throw around that rolls off our tongue very easily to be saved, to have salvation. We need to never forget. Guys, ladies, we need to never forget the expense involved in procuring our salvation. He says there in that that first part of the text is, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And we looked at that word and talked about what that means. And this, this idea that, that, that he is the substitute for our sins, that he paid the penalty that we could never pay ourselves. Uh, Listen, 
and we know this. We know this is true. We know that there are times on the battlefield or in life where one person sacrifices their life, lays down their life. We've heard stories of of a soldier jumping on a grenade, or a person taking a bullet for someone, or a police officer who's. We know that that happens, and and we always admire what great courage and and honor and sacrifice that a person would make, and rightfully so. But but John is reminding this. This is he himself. This is God Almighty. This is the one who willingly, as I, as I said last week, his wrath on, on sinfulness, he poured out on himself so that we would not have to endure the wrath that we rightly deserve. So uh, the Apostle Paul says, and I, I said this text last week, mentioned it to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, he made him who knew no sin. Now we can't even fathom that. But to, what would it be like to, to live our entire lives and never mess up, never have a wrong thought, never get angry, never uh, say the wrong thing? You know what I'm saying? To, he who knew no sin was made sin, to, was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You may not feel righteous, but if you if you have this salvation, his righteousness has been placed upon you almost as a as a royal cloak, if you will, placed upon you. And and God sees you through Christ's righteousness in him It is a very expensive gift that God gives to us. And the second observation about salvation that we made last week, he said, not only is it expensive, but we also said that salvation is exclusive. And this is the part I said last week, boy, this is not popular in the culture in which we live. I know that the text says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Christ Jesus, the righteous, we have an advocate and he himself singular again is the propitiation for our sins. This is an exclusive salvation. And as I said last week, not popular. People don't want to hear that there's only one way. And we look at multiple texts. We looked at multiple texts last week and, and uh, that, that address that issue. And it may not be popular, but ladies and gentlemen, I just need to remind all of us that our pop, the, uh, the popularity of our message cannot determine uh, our, our willingness to share that message. It's because something is not popular to say, Listen, I, I know that doesn't sound good to you or I know that you think, but I, I'm just telling you what I believe and what I believe is what the word of God says. And what God says is he made one way for us to to be uh, redeemed, one way for our sins to be forgiven, one way to get to heaven. And that way is is God himself, his son, Jesus Christ came. It's not it's not popular. And, and like I said, we looked at a bunch of different passages of scripture, but just remind you the one in first Timothy uh, chapter two, for there is one God and there is one mediator. Also, everybody knows what a mediator is. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. There's not another one. There's not a plan B. There's not, a, you know, it, that, that's it. And we just have to say that. And I will remind you of this, and especially if you weren't here last week, you're hearing it the first time. But to say that, to say that we believe that Christianity is exclusively right, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. To say that does not mean that other people do not have a right to believe what they choose to believe. We should, we should, especially in the country in which we live, that's based on religious freedom, the right to believe what they choose to believe. We should be willing to share and engage, but, but we have no right to say that they can't believe what they choose to believe. But, as I said last week, having the right to worship someone or something is not the same thing as being right about who or what you're worshiping. That's what some of you need to understand. In a conversation, to be able to say, listen, you are absolutely free to worship whoever you want, believe in whatever you want, 
but just understand that doesn't make what you believe right. You have the right to do that, but it doesn't mean it's right. Because when exclusivity is claimed, somebody's right and somebody's wrong, right? There's no in-between. When Jesus says, hey, I'm the only way, Jesus is either right or he is not right. And so we, I'm, I'm just saying that, I'm just rehashing that so that you just keep that in mind. Man, this, I, this, is, this can't compromise on this area because God doesn't compromise. And then the third observation uh, that we made last week, we said that salvation is extensive. I think that's part of what John is bringing out there in the latter part of verse 2. He says, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. It is my belief that that is a biblical position that any person on the face of this earth can be saved. They can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ if they would respond to God's uh, drawing them, if they would hear the message of the gospel. And I and I'm of the church has responsibility, uh, and the church better not drop that responsibility. But I know that God will get the message of Christ to someone that wants to hear that message. If they, if they, if, whether they look up in the night sky, whether they look at the complexity of their hand, and and they begin to contemplate this idea of who is God, man, who who is this? Uh, God will find a way. I really believe God will find a way to get the gospel uh, to that person. They must respond to it. But I, I, it is my belief belief that this salvation is extensive. It, it's it's for anyone. Regardless of your age or the language you speak or the color of your skin or how much money you have in your bank account or any, what part of the world you live in or anything else, uh, the, this, this salvation, the gospel message that brings salvation is for everyone. And there's one more observation that I want to make. It's the longest part of the text, and that's why that's what the remainder of the time we're going to focus on that, okay? So one more observation. Uh, we made three uh, last week. It's expensive. Uh, it's exclusive and it is extensive. Here's the fourth observation about salvation. Salvation is expressive. Salvation is expressive. I'll explain that in just a second, but let me just, let me just say this. John has uh, talked about this salvation, what a glorious, wonderful salvation it is. He's talked about uh, the, this, this, the expense of this, that he himself, God Almighty, is the propitiation. He's the payment for our sins. He's talked about this, this wonderful thing. He's talked about the exclusivity of it and, and that it's open to the world and, and all, all this kind of stuff. Now he begins to move into an area where he begins to talk about how you can know that you have this salvation. And, and one of the things that he says is that it, this salvation is extensive. Uh, or, or, salvation is expressive. In other words, salvation is not a static uh, thought. Salvation is not a, a theological and spiritual concept or truth only no no uh, salvation is expressive it's not it's not just this thought about someday in the in the sweet by and by that i have in my mind that doesn't affect my life here and now no if 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 it's genuine true blood bought holy spirit brought salvation if it if it is authentic and genuine it will it's ex, it will express itself in my life it will begin to apply my life. I know this is not good grammar, but, but salvation can't not change me. You understand? Salvation can't not change me. It has to change me because, because something has transpired in my life when Christ came to dwell within me as a result of his sacrifice on the cross. 
And as you're going to see in the text, John kind of draws out, at least in this area, John kind of draws out two specific areas where your salvation should be expressive. And as you'll see, I mean, they're, they're inseparable. They're really, you know, you, as I say, sometimes they're two sides of the same coin almost. They're, you can't separate them, but John does. And so we'll kind of break them apart uh, that way. And so a couple different areas. And the first one is this. It's just remember that salvation is expressive in life. Salvation will be expressive in my life. Let me uh, read it to you in First uh, John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 3. You, you ready? You there? <clears throat> listen, listen how he starts this now. He's talked about this glorious salvation and how we obtain it and all that kind of stuff. But now watch where he goes with this. By this, we know that we have come to know him. I probably don't need to translate that, but, but let, me, let me do it anyway. John says, this is how you can know that you're in a relationship with Jesus. This is how you can know that you are saved. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or, or completed. By this, we know that we are in him. He's circling back around saying the same thing again. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Can John, uh, I mean really, can John be any clearer about this? Can, Can he spell this out any clearer? I really don't think that he can. He says, if, if you, here's how you know that you know him. Here's how you know that you're in a relationship with him. If you keep his commandments, if you walk as he walked, as you, if you live life as he lived life, this is how you can know it. Now, if you've been with us as we started this series, if you remember back in chapter one, a lot of this is going to sound uh, very familiar to uh, what we read in chapter already in chapter one. And if you were here then, you may remember that I said You're going to hear a lot of repetition in this. You're going to hear John saying this over and over again. He sometimes may say it in different ways or make a different application, but you're going to hear him saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, Tyler asked me a a few weeks ago why I tend to repeat a lot of previous week's stuff. If I'm in a series, uh, particularly if I'm still in the same chapter, why I go back uh, at the beginning of his message and repeat some of the stuff we covered last week or or several uh, weeks back. Part of the reason I do that is because from week to week we have new folks come in and uh, so it's not a bad idea to kind of help bring them up to speed. But part of the reason is, be, quite honestly, because like John, I'm, I'm big on repetition. Uh, I'm just, I'm big on repetition. I'll say something to you, quite honestly, until I think you get it. Uh, and, and so in this, John launches into something he's already been engaged in, he's already been talking about, but he's, he's saying that your life is going to change. So, in other words, to make kind of a a current or modern uh, application of this, John says, here it is, here's how you know if you know him. If, and I'm I'm, I'm filling in the blanks here, but but you you get the, this is what he's saying. This is how you know that you come come to know him. If you're married, you're going to be the kind of husband, you're going to be the kind of wife that Jesus Christ would want you to be. If, 
if, if you're an employer, if you're an employee, you're going to be the kind of employer or employee that Jesus would be. Your sexual life will line up with what he says in his word. Your sexual life ought to line up with. What you do with your time, what you do with your money, how you treat people. All of those things will line up with exactly who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus would do. You will, you will make this, this, there'll be this desire in you when this thing is real to follow in his steps, to borrow from a very famous Christian novel, to follow in his steps. And you may be thinking, geez, PC, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're saying that I, I ought to be just like Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. Give the man a fuzzy bear. Hey, listen, maybe you've read it before. Can I remind you of this text? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, I, maybe I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Would somebody explain to me what it means to be crucified? To be put to death? Now, right, we understand Paul, he's, he knows he's not physically dying at this point. But look at what he's saying. He says, my, my old self has been crucified with Christ. I've made this decision. This is, I, I died. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. I'm still in this body. I understand that. But I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is to begin to become Christ-like in my life. Now, listen, each of you could think of, uh, think of your particular area or your particular stumbling block or your particular struggle in your life. It's a great time to stop and ask myself, man, am I, am I, am I following Christ? Am I, am I seeking to accomplish His will for my life? And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Man, I, I can't. I can't be Jesus. I can't, I can't be perfect. No, you, n- n- me, none of us. No, we, we can't. We can't be perfect. This side of glory, we won't be perfect. Here's the way I'd put it. We can't replicate Jesus, okay? it's only one sinless son of God. We can't replicate Jesus, but we had sure better imitate Jesus. We'd sure better imitate Christ. No, I can't replicate him. I can't, I, I can't clone him and become another Jesus, and I know I won't be perfect, but I had sure better imitate him in my life. And if you're thinking, imitate, I don't know, that that sounds kind of fake. That that sounds kind of, no, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying just, you see him? Do like that guy. That's what he's saying. Imitate, copy, do life the way he would do life. And that, and listen, don't, don't even think that that's not a biblical concept. Look at what Paul says. First Corinthians chapter one. He says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And, and Paul's not saying, woohoo, look at me. What he's saying is, you know what you ought to do? You ought to do the same thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to imitate Christ. I'm just trying to be like him in my life. In the everyday, now make the application. You got to make it in your own head. The everyday application, your particular thing at school, at work, at home, whatever your struggle is, with your spouse, with your friend, with your, with your own mind, with your fears, with your, whatever that application is, you've got to make that application right now in your own head. You've got to say, man, am I imitating Christ in this situation in my life? Do I look like Christ in this area of my life? And this is such a big deal to Paul. He says it again. Look, he says it again in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Imitate him. 
Listen, those of us, that, and maybe some of y'all are in the throes of it right now, but those of us who have raised children, y'all, y'all remember? And eventually your kids grow out of it. Uh, but do you, do you remember when your kids wanted to copy you and everything? They wanted, you know, how many of us dads have had one of, one of our sons follow us around with their little fake lawnmower while we were out mowing the lawn? Right? Y'all, y- y'all know what I'm saying? See the, see the application here? You're his dear little children. Imitate him. I was thinking, it got me thinking about um, my, uh, our oldest grandson, Wyatt. Uh, we used to keep, he used to keep uh, he and his brother uh, every day for a number of years. They're in school now and we don't, but, but when they were little, we had them every day. And uh, so it's crazy when I'd go somewhere, they would be with me. And when I, uh, I don't know what y'all do. Y'all are probably much more spiritual, much more holy than I am. But when I am in traffic and somebody does something offensive to me as, as, a, as the skilled driver that I am, when someone does something that offends me, my go-to response is, dude, that's it. I just, y'all probably would never, y'all probably say much nicer. Y'all, y'all probably say things like, bless them, Lord, as they go. But that would be my go-to thing. Dude, dude, dude. Every time. So, dude. So one day I'm going down the road and, and something happens. Somebody cut right from whatever. And before I even said anything, why is he's like three years old in the backside? He would go, dude. <laughs> right? That, that's what he's saying. He says, hey, imitate. Copy. Look at his life. And there's plenty about the life of Jesus Christ in here to, to imitate. And even if there wasn't, besides all that, all the rest of his word that tells us what his moral code and standard and all those things are for our life and and, and, and we may struggle with them, or we, our flesh may not like it, or people may not be offended by it. But he says, if, if this is how you know that you belong to him, this is it. If you follow him, if you do what he does. So in, in life, and then again, I'll say it one more time, then we'll move on. This is a great time for each of us to stop and make an observation of my own life. To just reflect and say, God, you know that area I struggle in, those areas I struggle in. I certainly know them. I try and hide them from everybody else. But God, you know this, whatever this is, lust or greed or fear or doubt or despair or, uh, you know, you, right? I don't even need to. God, you know those things. God, forgive me. I'm not following you in those areas. God, get a hold of my life so that I would. God, I, I want to imitate you. I want to handle this situation the way you would handle this situation. Now, uh, watch what happens. Because this is interesting uh, deviance, uh, if you will, uh, kind of uh, variance off of where we are in the text. Suddenly, in uh, verse 7, John says this, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. I find this interesting because he's laying out, this is how you can know you're in him. And it's almost as if, led by the Spirit of God, John kind of goes off track just a minute to, to anticipate an argument that might be made against what he's teaching. Because do you remember last week and when we were in chapter 1, I said that there were, there were some new teachers infiltrating the church, these false teachers, and they were, and they were feeding some people some, some false stuff. And one of the things they claimed was that they had this new knowledge. Do you remember this? Well, we got, some, we got some stuff the church doesn't have. We got some stuff the apostles don't have. This is some new stuff. And part of that new stuff was, hey, go ahead. You can go out and sin, sin as much as you want. You can sin a lot. It's all covered by grace. So don't worry. Just go ahead and, 
and, and sin big because grace is big. And you know, that's one, that was one of their, their, their teachings. And John seems to go out of his way to say, don't you think for a second that this is something new. Don't even think for a minute that this is something I've come up with on my own. No, this is, this is an old commandment, he says. Not only do you have the Old Testament and, and the moral code and the moral law that God has laid out here, but he, he, he's basically laying out that, hey, this is what Jesus taught. This is what he lived. This is what he said, is that your life will change as a result of it. Look at a few of these passages of Scripture. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven... He is my brother and sister and mother. That's the family of God, he says. The people that do what my, what my Father in heaven would have us to do. Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Yeah, I mean, uh, John chapter 3. Boy, here, look. <laughs> he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Right? Remember, remember, this is the same chapter... The, the glorious verse that every person, every heathen on earth knows, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should... Well, I believe in Jesus. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Man, when people say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, you need to say to them, keep reading, dude. Keep reading. Because what's real up here affects in here and it comes out here. It, it affects who I am. It has to. I, it can't not change me. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't, I don't know. Well, I love Jesus. Then why are you? Then why? Okay. So, right, and and Jesus didn't uh, is not this didn't come out of Jesus' mouth, but it's still Jesus' word. Just throw this one in here to do James uh, chapter one. Uh, but don't just listen to God's word; you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You see, it it, it that's what salvation does. Salvation changes my life. And John says this is nothing new. But then now, watch this. What time is it? Okay, watch this. And, and then he turns around in verse eight, and he says. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John says, listen, in one sense, this is not new. This is what God has always taught. This has always been his expectation on our life is that we would follow him. We would do what he asks us to do because he knows that's what's best for us, by the way. Please understand that when God gives a commandment, when God says, uh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do this or I'd rather, I want you to do this. It's always for our intended good out of love. That's why, why he says. So he says, on the one hand, this is not new. But on the other hand, this is a new commandment. And it is a new commandment in the sense that it is, it is changing the world. It is having an impact on the world. And, and John's spelling that out. It's not the things are changing. They're not the way they used to be. The, by the time John writes this letter, the, the, the gospel, the message of Jesus is, is spreading out in, into the Middle East. It's spreading around the Mediterranean. Uh, it's spreading throughout the Roman Empire. By this point, at the time John writes this, probably I would say it's safe to say that at least several hundred thousand people have committed their life to Jesus Christ by this point uh, historically. And the world was, was being changed. It was changed because, because they were changed. 
because they suddenly were living life for God and not for themselves. And we know what happens when we live life for ourselves, right? And when I'm living my life for myself and you're living your life for yourself and we both want the same thing, there's going to be a problem somewhere, right? So suddenly these people are living life for God. Suddenly uh, they're, they're helping their, their, their neighbor. Suddenly someone with a disease, uh, the Christians are marching in while everybody else is running out. The Christians are, are giving sacrificially of their money when everybody else is hoarding it. The Christians are, and it was, it was changing the world. In that sense, this was something new. Any of you that have ever had the privilege of being around a person who gets it for the first time. Maybe they've heard the gospel before, maybe they've never heard it before. But for the first time, the Spirit of God uh, uh, intersects in their heart and brings conviction. Any of you have ever had the privilege of being around a person at that moment when they come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they recognize their sinfulness and they, they, they say, yes, I'm lost, I need Christ as my Savior. And they invite Christ into their life. In that moment, something brand new has been born. Something brand new trans. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creature. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because I know who I was, what I was before Christ. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new crea- creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Can I just remind you of this today, those of you that perhaps at times... And I think we all can. You get glimpses of this that the Apostle Paul struggled with this at times. At times when we struggle with things of our past, the mistakes that we've made, things that, oh my gosh, I wish I could undo that. I wish I could redo this. I could just, listen to me. When you're thinking that or saying that, God's saying, what things? What things? Those things are passed away. They came under the blood. And I've removed them from you. So it's not a new thing, but in a sense it is a new thing. Okay, and then watch. Now he jumps right back in to uh, these observations about how salvation uh, affects our life. Salvation, it it changes our life. But here's the second one. Not only is it expressive in life, but it's expressive in love. And like I said, right, you can't separate them. You don't love... uh, You don't don't love inside a box. You you love through your life. It's it's in life and through life that, that you love. But John draws this out separately to show us. Look at it. Uh, where do we leave off? Verse uh, 9. He says, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Notice he's going back to that light and darkness analogy they started using in chapter 1. He's pulling that back into it. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He may think he knows where where he's going, but he's actually walking around completely blind to where he's going because he's walking in the darkness. In love. He he particularly draws out this love in this, this idea of loving your brother. And it should be abundantly clear that he's not talking about your biological brother. Why? Because he doesn't even have to write that. We naturally love family. We naturally love our family. We may get mad at them. We may have falling out with them, that sort of thing. But, but he doesn't even have to write that you should know. Most likely, John is referring to the family of Christ, the family of God, this body that is 
is the family of God. And you saw several references that in some of those verses we looked at, the mother and brother and sister and, and little children. And he's all this idea, this, this, this unity that it should exist within this body that is Christ. That there should be a love within this. So I was thinking about, and I, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, how, how uh, glaring this love is and would be when, when we practice it correctly. Because it is so unobserved in the world today. Now, I know uh, we saw we saw some great things in the hurricane in Texas and in Florida. We saw uh, people going in, many of them Christians going in, organizations, stuff, pumping millions of dollars and relief and all that kind of stuff. But we saw neighbors helping neighbors and and, and that sort of that's a wonderful. Well, it's a wonderful thing. But for the most part, the world is divisive. The world is is there anybody in here that if you've been in a coma for the last 10 years, then maybe you wouldn't know this. But is there anybody in here that doubts for a moment that the world is not divided politically? Just rah, rah, rah. the world is is divided socially. The world is divided racially. The world is divided in so many different ways that should never exist within the body of Christ. There should be no divisions at all. And they're so not there, that people would sit up and take notice, that people would recognize, wow, these people are different. Because even with all of their differences, all of their, because, right, we are different. And we can, and we can love each other. We can come alongside and say, you've got a need, I want to be there. And I know some, our problem is, a lot of times, we don't ever want to let anybody know, right? We don't, I can't let them know that I've got this need, or that I'm hurting in this area, or that I'm struggling with this uh, temptation. In my, I can't let anybody know that. What if we got vulnerable? What if we got real? And what if we said, man, out of love, I, I need to share this with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need them to know this is... And, and we can come alongside each other. We can pour into each other. Listen, you know this passage of Scripture, John chapter 13. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John's gospel letter, he said, that, that's, that's what will cause people to stand up and take notice. Look at those, look at those Christ followers. Man, they love each other. They, they, they're there for each other. They do for each other. They come alongside each other. And I'll remind you, even though I don't need to, I'll remind you that the word used there is not for love is not phileo. It's not, it's not brotherly kind of, of love. It's not, it's not kindness. It's not affection. It is agape. It is sacrificial. Think of the other person before I think of myself. Love. Married couples, that's how you're called to love. Brothers in the church, how you called to love. Sisters in the church, how you called to love. Children, how you called to love. This this sacrificial think of the other person before I think of myself kind of love. By this, the world will know that you love me by the way you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's important enough that John draws out this distinction and particularly pulls out this idea of love. And he says that the person that says they love, and this is just, just no place for for unforgiveness, bitterness. I'm mad at this person, so I'm walking down the other aisle. I don't like what they did. I'm going to another church. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. But to come alongside each other and say, you know what, it hurt me when you, when you said this to me, but, but I love you and I, and I forgive you. Will you forgive me for being angry with you? That's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. What could happen as a result of it? Salvation expresses itself. It it, it has to. It can't not change me. 
and it can't not change you, not if it's real. Salvation is expressive. The Apostle John makes it clear that genuine faith that leads to real salvation changes us. It causes us to desire to do life the way Jesus wants us to do life. As Pastor Clay said in today's message, imitating Christ may seem like a daunting task. But with His Spirit to convict us, guide us, and empower us, we really can live a life that honors God and draws us closer to Him. And hopefully, that life draws others to Him as well. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.